This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to Revelation 6? Donna, would you come read that for us? I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine." When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth, as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? Well, that was fun. Someone should make a movie. (sighs) Revelation 6. This is some of the more uh, exhilarating, (laughs) sobering, exciting, terrifying, hopeful stretches of Scripture in the entire Bible, chapter 6 through 19. Like, this is some wild stuff in here. Uh, There's a lot of people that believe it's happening, people maybe that it's not happening. I, I'll tell you who does believe it's happening right now, and that are, uh, that's billionaires in the, in the tech industry. Have you guys read about the doom boom? 
Seriously, honest to God, that's what they're calling it. The doom boom. Have you heard of this? This is just last week in The Guardian. Um, there's literally a, uh, a huge increase in spending in building bunkers, uh, specifically in Kansas. I grew up in Kansas. Ain't nothing in Kansas. Apparently, though, there are, which are missile silos uh, that are not being used for nukes anymore. So they're building bunkers under the ground and creating like incredible condos. So if anybody's looking for a nice spot in Kansas uh, <laughs> with its own thing, um, it's funny, uh, actually, some of the names they've called it, uh, Almost Heaven is one of them, is what it's called. Paradise Valley. Uh, talk up the risk of impending cataclysm, and that's part of their sales pitch. I'd love to get some of these brochures, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> get some complimentary literature. The, but here's what I was interested by. By the time I got to the booth, this was a guy writing the piece, uh, selling the bulletproof backpacks for school children. My unease had started to bleed into despair. Prepper technology is marketed by dread merchants. Fear is really what they are selling. Uh, that is not what Jesus is selling at all. And uh, obviously, if you want to you know, make a down payment on that, that's completely up to you. You don't have to tell me. Um, but should I be wrong about all of this and uh, you're looking for a guy who can mow uh, and take care of your property during an apocalypse, I'd be glad to come crash at your place during that time. I... <laughs> When I'm reading these uh, next few chapters, chapters 6 through 19, it's intense stuff. Uh, there are those uh, wise and very smart people who say that it probably shouldn't even be in the Bible to begin with. Martin Luther was one of those. Um, Martin Luther also died an anti-Semite. So, you know, you have to take some of that into consideration. Uh, people that say that, but I look at this and I'm reading what's happening in, in Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, the whole book. And if you're a reader of this time with John's reading, none of this is new to you. You're remembering, well, Jesus said that. Like Jesus' own words said that, hey, some perilous times are going to come. The prophet Joel said that. Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Like they weren't reading it going, oh, this is brand new. I didn't know that. Like that's, I didn't see that coming. So, and I would go so far as to say that without the book of Revelation, Third John ends the Bible with a cliffhanger. We end with the Genesis 3 world. Like there's nothing after that. Revelation synthesizes together the Old and the New Testament, the prophets and Jesus, and, and puts it into one place and doesn't contradict, but in fact complements, right? It doesn't confuse, but it actually clarifies what the prophets and what Jesus was saying. That, that's when I read it, that's what I'm seeing. Now, I would take it a step further and say that there's something important about this beyond just not the cliffhanger in that there are people uh, in Southeast Asia that I've, I've spent time with who've been persecuted and have been abused. And when I taught Revelation back in October, they read it differently than we read it because they're reading it in the same words as these people here in Revelation 6, verse 10, the martyrs crying out from under the throne, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and, and avenge us. That's a prayer that's prayed here, and that is a prayer that is prayed all over the world. And I, and I say that, put that in one pocket and come back to the other. When you meet with people in Southeast Asia, uh, in the Middle East, Something interesting about believers and followers of Jesus there. 
they have been legitimately marginalized. They've been legitimately persecuted, legitimately beaten and imprisoned. And they're not taking up arms against their oppressors. Bring it back to the United States. And what's happened here, people who have legitimate complaints, legitimate systemic problems with the way they've been treated by the justice system, with, with law. And they're experiencing the same thing, but here we've seen a lot of people taking up arms and burning things and destroying property. And they're using the language of no justice, no peace. Have you heard that phrase before? By the way, that's the same language that they would be using in Middle East, but they mean something different by it. Here's what I mean. Here we mean no justice, no peace, and that means until you give me the justice that is perfect, that does, there's no flaws in it, that I'm going to fight and I'm going to create violence until you give me the justice. In the Middle East, they would say no justice, no peace, meaning that until God comes and gives perfect justice, then there can be no peace. That, that's the language that they would use. In fact, uh, I could give you an exact quote from a man named Miroslav Volf. Has anybody read Wolf? Nope, got nobody. Okay, but Miroslav Wolf, uh, in his book, uh, Exclusion and Embrace, Miroslav grew up in Croatia. Okay, and in Croatia, just like in Sudan, just like in the DRC, just like in Kurdistan, just like in Turkey, there have been decades and centuries of violence and revenge. Violence and revenge. When I asked Fouad Masri uh, on the Deeper podcast about what was happening in Turkey, he took it all the way back to Napoleon to, to understand what's happening in Turkey. But here's what uh, Wolf is saying here, that the only way that we can get to a nonviolence, which is what Jesus would call us to do, Dr. Martin Luther King's nonviolence was not born out of a liberal idea. It was born, well, here's what, I'll tell you what Wolf said it was. He says this, the cycle of retaliation, again, a guy grew up, born, raised in a cycle of centuries of violence and retaliation. The cycle of retaliation is not fueled by a belief, uh, isn't fueled by a belief in a God of judgment. It's fueled by a belief of a God with lack of judgment. Did you catch that? The cycle of retaliation isn't fueled by a belief of a God of judgment. It's actually fueled by a, a lack of belief in a God of judgment. If God were not angry at injustice, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse and violence by ourselves is to insist that judgment is legitimate only when it comes from God. My thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many. If you haven't heard anything else, wake yourself up for this. You can go right back to sleep. This is so good. But it takes the quiet of a suburban home to believe that human nonviolence results from a belief in a God's refusal to judge. In a land soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die with other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. Do you understand what he's saying there? That the way that my friends in Southeast Asia don't rise up to try to reenact into how, is they, they believe that God's gonna take care of it. And that is the belief that can sustain nonviolence. 
So when you hear somebody say, no justice, no peace, that's actually true. It's just an incomplete thought because the real answer is perfect justice can bring perfect peace. That's it. Only perfect justice. And the God of the universe, do you think that he might be able to give us perfect justice? I do. And so the perfect justice equaling perfect peace means we will see what he does, the justice that he enacts, and we'll be able to say, okay, we can live in peace with this because this is taken care of now. That's what Revelation chapter 16, 6 through 19, I believe is about. It's the answer to the prayer, how long, Lord, before you bring justice? The prayers of the martyrs of Rome, the early church, maybe even John himself, the prayers of the saints in Libya whose heads were sliced off on the beaches of the Mediterranean or whatever, the Indian Ocean by ISIS. How long before you would give us justice is a prayer that's been prayed for years. And the thing that would cause us to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to not rise up. I'm not going to take up arms and try to do something about this happens if I can take a step back and say that whatever God's justice is, it's going to be better than mine. It's going to be perfect because that's, gang, that's the problem in our country right now. What's happening even in the streets of Portland in Seattle, people crying out for justice, maybe even legitimately. But what do we see happen in Seattle? They took over the place. They called it Chaz or Chaz or they set up borders and they've got guns and they won't let journalists in and they've got their own form of justice. It immediately went into, it's our form of justice now. So, so you see what I'm saying? So the no justice, no peace thing falls apart because the question is who's justice and who's peace? And the, only the Prince of Peace, the perfect, the, he sees everything. We just saw Jesus, the seven horns, the seven spirits. He sees it all. His justice is the justice that we have to depend upon. That's what we're holding on for. So when I read chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and by the way, we're not going to spend 13 weeks in the tribulation. We got, we got some problems in this country, so I'm not going to subject you to the intensity of that for three months. Like, man, let me, like, tribulation at Christmas, man, we're still going to be. We'll cover stuff in the, on the deeper podcast, but I want to kind of give you a flyover of what this period, this chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way through the 19 is speaking of. And then I want to tell you why there's an enormous amount of hope that we can take from it. Does that, we can do that in the few minutes we have here? The question number one that I want to answer is really a question that I would, I want to, that most people would see from us. But the question is, when you hear, you guys heard the word, the great tribulation, right? and not just from like a left behind movie, or maybe it was from a left behind movie, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to get, I feel, I'm going to find old people now. How many of you read The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey? All right. Man, I read that when I was eight. My mother had it on the nightstand. It scared the crud out of me. Like, but I couldn't quit reading it. I'm like, it was fascinatingly terrifying, but I kept reading it. Hal Lindsey did not coin the phrase, the Great Tribulation. That wasn't an idea that was new to him. This was an idea that's being described here by John, but it was predicted by Jesus Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, verses uh, 21, 22, 
uh, in this, the, the disciples had asked him, how will we know the sign of, of your coming? How will we know the sign these things are about to happen and the end of time? And they're actually asking three different questions. One is, when is the temple going to be destroyed? One is, when is uh, your return going to happen? And then what is the end of the age? Those are three different questions. And Jesus answers it over 24 and 25 and answers all three. It's just that they're not all three at the same time. They're all three of a part of the same mission, but not at the same moment. But he says in 21, 22, for there shall be, quote, great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And when you look back and see Revelation 6, the purpose, like this great tribulation, what it is here is it is the great day of the wrath of God Finally, the justice of God, the perfect justice of God being poured out on those who deserve it. Daniel would call this time um, a time of great trouble, Daniel 12.1. Since it's never before, uh, there'll never be again. He calls it that there. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 talks about it as the time of Jacob's trouble. There's a very specific thing that God is doing with Israel. He has not done with Israel. The promises that God made to Israel, there are five of them and four of them were non-conditional. And that means if he breaks his promise to the Jew, he can break his promise to you, okay? That is not the God we follow. We believe, I believe that there's a very specific thing that God is doing with that. But that, when I say, when you hear the language of the great tribulation period, it's described as a seven-year period on earth. It's described as a time when God is pouring out his wrath. And by the way, I still believe, some of y'all don't, that's totally your business. I don't think Christians are gonna be there for this. And the main reason I don't, I, I could give you 15 of them, but one of them, the number one is 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 says, you and I are not appointed to suffer wrath. And this time here is referred to as a time of God's wrath. Okay, I just don't think that we'll be here for this. You can say the word rapture isn't in the Bible. That's true. The word harpazo is the taking away, that whatever you want to call it, the word trinity also not in the Bible, but the concept is there. I think we will be removed for such a moment because we're not appointed to wrath. We won't be here for this, for that seven-year period because God has a very specific plan that's going to happen. And that, the purpose of that tribulation, why does it have to be this way? Like if God's gonna pour out wrath, like on a Christ-rejecting, you know, these aren't just like eh, kind of nice people. These are angry, rejecting, raging against. You'll see that as this chapter unfolds. People... But why would it be this way? And, and I look at this, and you start to see these seals that are being unopened. Remember we talked about last week the seven seals, that he was going to open these seals, and only the lamb could open these seals? R read these, in the first five of them, it's almost like a little mini-apocalypse. By the way, Matthew 24 cross-referenced it. It's, John said this, but this is all he's saying is what Jesus said. So this is not new information for him. But when you, the first five of these alone, like a little mini-apocalypse, seems to be these are the results of whether it's in our personal life of rejecting Christ or in a society or an empire that has risen and fallen in rejecting Christ. And you can go back to Rome, Babylon, the Ottoman Empire, uh, Hitler's Germany, and you can see when a great empire rises and falls, they follow these 
first five seals that are being opened. The first one, chapter uh, six, verse one and two, is what, what you call them Antichrist. Like that's the one, the name that we hear the most, even though it's only used in first, second, and third John. Is referred to all kinds of things, the man of lawlessness, the man of intrigue. What we know is that God has prophesied that there would be a man that would rise up for the first time ever to, for the whole world. It's not just the guy here in Germany or the guy here in the United States, but the whole world. But here's what we see. He comes in with a bow, verse 1 and 2, with no arrows, speaking of a man who's going to come in peace, right? A man who uh, Daniel says would conquer by peace. Uh, he's given a crown, by the way, not the royal diadem that uh, Jesus wore. This was uh, the word Stephanos, which would have been like a temporary crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. He came in peace. Can you think of an, a leader that has taken over a country, whether it's Hitler or Pol Pot or Charlemagne? Go through history. None of them started out as being a guy with a, with a gun and a sword coming in and I'm going to dominate you people. They come in in a way, I'm here to help you. I'm here to, to rescue you. When Hitler rose in Germany, he had come to Germany to rescue their dignity. I, you guys, we have been pressured. We have been oppressed. We have been, I've come to save you. That's not new in human history. That's normal. And what is every politician telling us right now in every ad they're telling us? I'm here to save you. This other dude's an idiot and I'm going to save you. And if this other guy, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket unless I win. That's both sides. That's been around for a while. But what's the second seal that comes when that man, woman attains power is war. Again, without exception, war starts. We weren't even a country for a hundred years, hardly, before our first civil war broke out here. And we have been at war. Remember the war to end all wars 120 years ago? And how many wars have we had since then? Like 50? Like, war is not the exception to humanity. It's the reality. And I would say this, to be clear, the reality of man who has rejected Christ. Because that's what this is really. The answer to the prayer, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not thine. So the answer to my prayer is I'm going to need a politician to figure this out. And the answer to that prayer is, well, that's great, but he's going to need to be blowing some things up. And then the third one is that, and this happens, look back through history, over time, economic collapse begins. The, the black horse, the third seal, its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. In verse six, it says two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. It's talking about runaway inflation. Uh, uh, and, and think about that. In, in wartime, people, in the, the victims of war, you're suffering famine, you're suffering poverty. But look what he says. Do not damage the oil and the wine. The oil and the wine spoke of for the wealthy people. And what do we know in America, at least, in most places around the world? War is big money. The wealthy are getting wealthier, the economic gap. And again, that's what you see a lot of happening in this world is the, the, the gap, the middle class is being destroyed. The gap is being taken in between. And that's just the way that humans who are without Christ work. In a Genesis 3 world, this is the logical conclusion of that. The rich, we're gonna get richer. I mean, it's almost, I almost shouldn't say this out loud but I will. The, the, think of the ones that are making the most money right now in our economic lockdown happening. 
Jeff Bezos, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred billion dollars. It sort of behooves him to keep us locked down, doesn't it? Because we keep ordering his crap and paying money with him. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's actually working really well for a very select few. And that doesn't mean that Bezos is, maybe he is, I don't know. Doesn't mean he's evil. It just means that that's what the Genesis 3 world is. It's just a world of impossible choices. And the fourth one, the pale horse. Anybody remember the Tombstone movie? My men, dudes. All right. I know where my friends are now, yeah. <laughs> that whole scene about you tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. That's a direct reference to Revelation 6, the pale horse. He's coming to take care of business. But death came closely behind. And what do we know in a world and economic collapse? We are seeing it right now. Tens of millions of children are suffering on the verge of or already dying of starvation. Hundreds of millions being pushed back into extreme poverty. Measles, diphtheria, malaria, polio, all on the rise right now because we can't take care of it all. When economic collapse happens, look, 15 years ago, there was a, a survey that was done that even in the United States, that for every 1% of unemployment rises in America, you can Google this, it is out there. Every 1% of unemployment as it rises, 20,000 people will die. That's in our country. It's everything from emotional health uh, to uh, just lack of access to health care. That is a real number. And by the way, it wasn't created by a Republican or a Democrat. That was actually just a real number back in the last time we had an economic crisis. That is a real thing that happens when an economic collapse happens. Death happens. And the fifth seal in a society that would reject Christ. A society that says we're not going to have you be the Lord over us. A world that would say that. Man, Christians get killed. Christians get persecuted. Christians get marginalized. It is a known fact right now that the number one population in the world right now being persecuted, uh, oppressed, and killed and martyred are Christians. And Jesus said, don't be surprised. They hated me. They're going to hate you. That's, that's the first, first fifth uh, first, fifth, the first of five seals. And when you get to the sixth seal being opened, it, it's this idea of like natural disasters. It, by the way, six is the number of man, okay? This is the best that we can come up with right here in the number of man. We, the best options we have are still gonna leave millions of people dying of starvation. The best options we have are gonna leave millions of people killed in war. The, the economic system is gonna be broken. There's gonna be racial injustice. That's humanity in one like few verses of five seals. And the sixth one, here's the, the fullness of what man can accomplish. And it talks about things like the moon turning blood red and earthquakes and the sun turning dark and stars falling from the sky. And, it, and part of me wonders if there's a little bit of an idea here, even in what climate change and what's happening in our world, that what we have done of stripping this world of its resources that, I mean, I've lived in Oklahoma. You know how many earthquakes we had in Oklahoma when I was in Oklahoma? None earthquakes in Oklahoma, but we're, we're drilling out there. We're, we're getting oil out of there and it's affecting the ground. It just is. And whether it's caused by us or caused by the way that the cycles of the earth, I don't know, but we know this, that things are changing. And some of the descriptions you hear, that's kind of a description of what's happening of a world that has been controlled by number six, by us, by man. 
Now, I love chapter seven. We're not going to go there this week. But man, chapter seven is such a glimpse of hope because that is what Jesus is still doing. Even in this time, the church is in heaven, but Jesus is still aggressive with his grace. He is reaching out, inviting people to come to him. And you'll see in chapter seven that there will be a multitude, uncountable, standing before the throne, those who'd come out of the tribulation period. So all the stuff you're seeing in six, simultaneously, God is on the move reaching and loving and drawing people to him. He doesn't wish that anyone would perish. That's his promise to us. And we go to chapter eight for the seventh seal, the interlude there and back in heaven. And in chapter eight, we won't go through it in depth, but isn't it fascinating that the eighth seal, it actually involves like seven trumpets or whatever, but you could literally read this and cross-reference it with a nuclear war a nuclear holocaust, and it, nothing doesn't fit in it. It's a third of the earth is burned up, a third of the trees, a third of the grass. At one point, they talk about these giant gray hailstones. Uh, for you science nerds, do you remember that after we bombed uh, Japan back in uh, the 40s, that they found out that we created a new mineral in the explosion, that the mixture of the heat and concrete and steel and wood and God only knows what else, it comes together, shot up into the air, frozen together as a new mineral, and they found these little gray balls that looked like hailstones around the... You see, you know that. You, see, you, you guys, homeschoolers, you know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? And what's it talk about? Giant hailstones. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, the, the trees, this... One last thing on that note, and then we, we won't spend much more time on that, but even the idea of the, the star that falls from the sky being called wormwood, uh, the Ukrainian word for wormwood is Chernobyl. The water is bitter. I mean, I, again, it may not be that, but I would say this. Wouldn't it be one of the greatest ironies for God to say to man... You wanted me not to be Lord over you. The very thing that I created you out of, you know that you're created out of atoms. Like that's the Lego blocks that make a human is an atom. You got an unimaginable amount of atoms in you. And an atom bomb is the destruction of the very building blocks of what has created you. Wouldn't that be the answer to the prayer? Well, this is what you wanted. This is your kingdom come. This is your will be done on earth as it is on earth. It could be, I don't know. What I do know is this. This is God's justice coming to earth for those that would reject, those that would murder, those that would, it's not revenge, it's justice. And a God of justice, a God of justice and perfect justice will produce the kind of peace. There will be no more saying, but I got screwed. Why am I the one that didn't? This wasn't fair. I didn't get that. We'll be able to, for an eternity, say, no, you, Jesus, you handled it perfectly and beautifully. And because of that, the thousand-year reign of Christ of peace and prosperity, an eternity with him, we'll look at it and say, yeah, yeah, we pretty much screwed that up. We did it every which way but loose. We tried all the isms, the communisms, the Marxisms, the capitalisms. None of them could do it. It's you, Jesus. We're following you. Now that said, in the last couple minutes I have, my question then is this. If that's happening, and I don't believe we're gonna be there, I just don't. We're not appointed unto wrath. But I also believe that Jesus fulfilled 400 prophecies in his first coming, okay? 
400. Then the coup d'etat, he says, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. And then he did it. It would heed you well to listen to someone who does that. And he said, I'm coming back in the same way that I left. He said that this is going to come. Do we think that he blew it? Do we think that this is the first time that Jesus is going to miss these prophecies? Or do we think that maybe this is coming and it might behoove us to be ready? And the question is, is what does it mean to be ready? And it's this last few verses here. What is the, the plan for the tribulation? Now your plan might be burying weapons. Look, a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. But that's not going to work. You know, I've thought about it. I mean, we aren't preppers, but we've been around long enough. We've seen natural disasters. We have some extra food. And the trouble is you do that long enough and you're going to be the only one in the neighborhood not getting skinny. So they're coming for you. You know what I'm saying? So that, it's not a great plan. The plan is right here. It's implied in this. They said the uh, great day, uh, verse 17, the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand it? The answer, chapter 7, 11, 12, 13, 14, around there, there were a multitude of people who had stepped into Christ and received the work that Christ did with them. And what were they doing? They were standing around the throne. It says here that they were hiding in caves in verse 15, 16. And by the way, the rich, the problem, you talk about the great leveler of all, you're going to be in the cave, it's free, you're slave, all gone. But it wasn't lost on me that Jesus was laid in a cave. His body laid down so that your body wouldn't have to be in a cave, that you could walk out and stand in the presence of him because of the work that he did in the cave. You don't have to hide in the cave. You don't have to pray for the rocks to be thrown on top of you. You can pray and stand on the rock of ages of Jesus himself. That's the work of the gospel. Who can stand? Those who are standing clothed in the righteousness of God. Those who have said that this payment here, that, that, that I owe for this, he paid it for me, and because of that, I can stand. Martin Lloyd-Jones has an old uh, metaphor that he used about paying a medical bill. I don't know if you've ever had large medical bills, but they are a little discouraging. And, and, and he tells the story of, a, of a, a person who had a medical bill, and then someone stopped by the office and paid their bill on the way home. And they were going to thank them for the bill. But here's what he said. The problem was is they didn't know how much the bill was. I mean, in America, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, you could literally get stitches and $20,000 later somehow. You know what I'm saying? But, but in, in, in those days, a bill could have been like 50 bucks, right? And, and, and what's, what's the payment for a bill of 50 bucks? You pay, paid 50 bucks for your medical bill. That's probably a handshake. Thank you. You know, 200, 300, maybe a high five. Somewhere there's a fist bump in this. But what if the medical bill is a million dollars? So at some point, if you don't know how much the medical bill is, you don't know whether it's for a handshake is the result or falling on your face is the result. Revelation 6 through 19, that's the price. Which is why the elders who were standing before his throne fell on their face and worshiped him because they knew the price that he paid to get them out of the judgment of God. 
You could stand before God and say, I'll have you to judge me on my efforts and my energy and my work and my religion and my thing. And you won't be able to stand in the day of his wrath or you can stand in Christ. Remember the book, Hind's Feet in High Places? Such a great book. It's a, if you haven't read it, it's just glorious. Good read it with your kids. The title is taken from uh, Habakkuk 3, verse 19, where uh, the prophet is talking about in a time where real suffering on the earth and how he was going to put his feet, Heinz feet, it's talking about like goats, like mountain goats, in high places, away from the destruction, away from the danger. Have you ever seen a mountain goat work their way up the side and you think there's no way that goat's gonna make it without tumbling down? They don't even have tumbling. Oh, how are they doing that? And yet, the mountain lion can't get to them, the violence can't, because God said to them, no matter what's going on around you, I'm gonna put your feet in high places. Psalm 31.9 speaks of him putting your feet in broad, open spaces. Who can stand in that day? Those who stand in the finished work of Jesus the white robes, because that wrath doesn't go on you. It goes on Christ. And because of that, you stand there completely full of grace and forgiven. I would encourage everyone to do that, to, to make sure that that's part of your relationship with Christ, that you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. He is so aggressive with his grace the multitudes couldn't even count them around the throne. That's an aggressive grace, God. He's not looking for reasons to kill you. He's looking for reasons to save you. That's the God we serve. Stand to your feet. I want to pray and I'll get you out of here. But I want you to know Jesus paid an enormous debt for you. You can fist bump him if you want to. But Revelation 6 through 19 tells you the price. That's how much he paid. I would suggest you fall on your face and worship him and serve him and offer your life as a living sacrifice to him. It's the only reasonable and pleasing act of worship for him. God, we love you. We give ourselves to you holy and we're just so grateful. I, I cued that. <laughs> Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>